0: Having a wonderful Christmas time. Yes, I get into the Christmas mood. I'm not a bar humbug. I enjoy the season as much as anybody else. And maybe it'll snow on Christmas. Who knows? Snuffy is still confused about Messi. He gets messy, he gets in trouble, but he doesn't understand all the fuss about Messi. But he's a dog. He doesn't understand a lot of things. I'm your man, KJ Green, welcoming you back to the Hoodwood. And let's right off the top, let's dive into that World Cup. What a finish! I mean, a lot of people say soccer is boring. A lot of people say they don't get the whole thing of why a billion people was what were watching that finale broadcast. If you didn't see it, you missed one heck of a game. Argentina and France going head up for the World Cup title, and it lived up to its billing. Let me tell you, Argentina jumping out to a quick 2-0 lead with Messi scoring on a penalty kick. And then setting up uh, Angel de Maria on a beautiful finish in the 36th minute. Everybody's thinking Argentina's gonna have a cakewalk to the cup. It's gonna be an hour-long celebration of Messi and the Argentine squad. French were like, hold up, son. Uh, let me talk, let me speak at you for a second. Mbappe, who had done nothing the first half, proved why he is one of the best players in the game, scoring two goals in less than 90s in less than uh, just over 90 seconds in a minute 33 a pair of uh, goals by mbappe in the 80th and 81st minute one on a penalty kick the other one on an absolutely brilliant finish levels the game at 2 and you could see man, the argentinian squad were shook you could look at them and they're just like what happened? this was supposed to be all about us was like, nah, son, we got a game to play. Game goes into extra time, two 15-minute halves, and you're waiting for something to happen. Messi makes it happen. Messi always makes it happen. You wanted to go, mama, it's that man again. Crashing the goal on a brilliant finish. A lot of people, there was a little controversy. Many people said that pass was set up, was offsides. But the goal, there was no offsides call. The goal counted. And everybody's thinking, okay, Argentina, they had a little bit of a scare like they did against the Netherlands. It's going to be all good in the hood. No problem. French was like, wait a minute, son. Let me, let me speak at you for a second. They came right back. And who was, on, who was Johnny on the spot? Of course, after a, penalty in, in, uh, a foul in the penalty area, Mbappe. Mama, it's that man again. ooh boy. He finished like nobody's business with a penalty kick and we're level at three after 120 minutes of brilliant play. Now you got to go to penalty kicks. Now, I personally think that the World Cup final should go to a golden goal. Winner, you know, sudden death goal after 120 minutes. Whoever scores on the next goal wins. But you could have been there all night. So, instead, we're going to penalty kicks. Now, with the penalty kicks, you had both Messi and Mbappé, both of them leading off of their respective squads, both of them cash in. Okay. Now, Dybala scores for the Argentine squad, but Coman and Chomeney were both denied. And my apologies to any of the French fans, who if I'm mispronouncing names, that's my fault. I didn't pay too much attention in, in French class. I actually didn't take French, I took Spanish, but I didn't pay that much attention anyway. So, please forgive me. Anyway. Carlo Monty scores for the French, but it's pretty much all over but the shouting. Montiel lines up for the kick that would basically shut out the French and win the World Cup for the Argentina squad. He cashes it in, and for the first time since the legendary Diego Maradona squad won in 86 in Mexico City, Argentina is on top of of the soccer world. Not only did I feel good for Leo Messi, Second final, finally gets it in. He had been in the World Cup. This is his fifth trip. Many people was wondering, you know, could he finish it off? Could he lead Argentina to a title? Finally, he did. And he wasn't just somebody along for the ride. He was front and center, winning the uh, uh, the gold. Well, he uh, I'm sorry, Mbappe won the Golden Boot for most um, for most goals, but Messi won the Golden Ball for the most outstanding player. And it was well deserved. He was he was he was a great player. He scored in every round in the in the group stage, in the quarter semis and the finals. And, um, if this is his final World Cup, you can't go out any better on top. One other person I felt really good for was Andres Cantor. The legend Argentinian Telemundo play by play announcer. He has the long goal shouts. I mean I couldn't even begin to keep up with him. But he was fighting back his emotions and he was fighting a losing battle. When Argentina scored the last goal, when uh, the last goal was scored by Montiel, it was like you could hear the you could his voice was cracking. He was saying it in Spanish. You know, Argentina is a champion of the world. Argentina is a champion of the world. You know, 36 years that Argentina's waited to win, win the World Cup. And you could tell... You will say, "Oh, that 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 was you know that's fanboy type stuff." If you didn't get moved by his emotional call, you better check your pulse, man, because you might be dead. I felt so good for Messi, who when they gave him the World Cup trophy, and he's looking around like, "Y'all ain't gonna take this from me. Y'all ain't gonna say psych and take it from him. Just playing. No, he it's, it's your this time. Argentina wins the cup." Messi was front, front and center and one of the most legendary players of our generation winning the World Cup and I felt good for him. I felt good for Argentina too. It was just a just a brilliant thing. Now let's switch gears to another type of football, not soccer, but American football, college football specifically, and the CFP. Now last week I detailed the two teams that I thought had the least chance of winning the CFP title. Now let's look at the two teams that I think have the best chance at winning it all. First of all, we talk about Georgia. Snuffy says he can't run with them dogs and asks a serious question, can the Bucks? That is going to be the question that's going to haunt Ohio State about Georgia. Not only do they run and run and run and run. I mean, you have a three-headed running game with Edwards, McIntosh, and Milton, and they just keep rotating them in and, in and out, in and out. And they're going to run the ball down your throat. They don't make any bones about it. They are a running team. Now, Stetson Bennett is a good quarterback, veteran quarterback. He's been around, a long, seemed like a long time. But he's a veteran quarterback, very savvy, great pocket presence. He can run when he wants to. He has a decent uh, amount of uh, receiving core where he can keep defenses honest if they try to crowd the box. On defense, you got a lot of players from Georgia that are going to play on Sunday. You can book that, especially Jalen Carter. Oh boy, he's a run clogger, he fills holes, he makes tackles in space. He makes tackles, shedding blockers. He is a good, if not great player, that is going to be, like I said, playing on Sundays. And he is a problem. If Ohio State doesn't neutralize him, it's going to be a long day in Atlanta. Bad enough that Ohio State's got to play Georgia in Atlanta, some 90 miles from the uh, uh, Athens campus, but you're playing Georgia. A team that really hasn't been tested in a couple of years. Not since my Bearcats took them to the wall in that very same Peach Bowl two years ago. That notwithstanding, Ohio State's got a a good team. But they have their work cut out for them taking on the Bulldogs in Atlanta. Now, the other team I think is going to have the best shot at making the CFP uh, championship is Michigan. Michigan is a second half team. They start slow, but boy, they come at you strong in the second half. 186 point, dip point differential in the second half of games. They win games, not only with defense, but Donovan Edwards has stepped up his, his game with Blake Corum being out. Michigan is another team that really hasn't been tested too much in the last few weeks. They've had a couple of games where they've played some games tight, have been behind going into the second half, But, brother, you let that team score, they will score and score and score and score on you. This is not a team to take lightly. Now, what Michigan's going to do is they're going to slow down the game. They're going to slug it out with their running game. Their key is to keep Max Dugan off the field because TCU's high-powered offense can put up the points. The problem that TCU has is Michigan's going to... Force you into scoring quickly if you don't score quickly if Michigan has a ball on prolonged drives keeping that TCU defense which is good but not great TCU can be beaten and I don't say that that they won't be beaten because I think Michigan's going to win the game but I think if TCU is not careful Michigan will score force you into a three and out score again and then you're down two scores. And TCU, while they are built for speed, they're really not built for a slug it out game. That's why I said they were one of the weaker teams of the last four teams. They're worthy. Don't, I'm not saying that they're not. I'm just saying that Michigan is a better team on both sides of the ball, both offensively and offensively. Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. 16 minutes throw picks because there are a lot of games to cover and a lot of critical games to look at. Now, I'm not one for hokey Christmas carols. You know, the Hoodwood Christmas Jukebox consists of only a handful of songs. Donny Hathaway's Is Christmas, uh, the, the Carpenter's Merry Christmas Darling, which is my mom's favorite, and Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas Is You, and Paul McCartney's Simply Having a Wonderful Christmas Time. Of all those songs... Only Mariahs is under 25 years old. Go figure. Don't judge my 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 my, my uh, uh Christmas songs that I like. I like what I like. But from my hoodwood to whatever hoodwood whatever hood you're in, please accept my best wishes for a joyous, happy, and safe holiday season. Whether it be Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, or whatever version of holidays you celebrate. Now, the playoff births are starting to get spoken for. Eagles, Cowboys, Vikings, and 49ers have all claimed playoff spots, and the latter two have guaranteed themselves at least one home playoff game as division champions of the North, Vikings, and the West, 49ers. Now, in the AFC, Buffalo has clinched a playoff spot, and the Chiefs wrapped up their seventh straight AFC West championship. Now, there are a few possibilities of a merry miss this week. See what I did there? For some teams and the possibilities list are list, list where applicable. Now, back in the day the NFL used to avoid playing on Christmas. It'll it like the plague. After the 1971 divisional round fell on a Sunday, where the Cowboys and Vikings played the early game and the Dolphins and Chiefs played the late game. Now the NFL did take some heat for the smaller than expected crowd for the former and the latter going to double overtime. And many feeling that messed up a lot of people's Christmas dinners. Now, the NFL didn't play another game on Christmas until 1989, when they played a Christmas night game between the Bengals and Vikings in Minneapolis on Monday Night Football at the Old Metrodome. Now, that game went over pretty well. Me and myself, I remember watching that game with a 17-year-old in a skating rink. But anyway, the NFL had moved its schedule to avoid playing any kind of playoff games on Christmas. Because usually the end of the season hit right around Christmas. They uh, went so far as to schedule games on Saturday and Monday. Ironically, the year before, in 1988, the Vikings had played their wild card game on a Monday afternoon, the Monday after Christmas. They pushed the schedule, NFL then pushed the schedule the next year, a week, so that the NFL season would end specifically on Christmas that next year. Now, since then, now Christmas now falls within the regular season schedule, and it's now the tail end of the season, but not the end of the season. Still, this year to make the day special, they play a limited schedule, and the bulk of the schedule, eleven games, are falling this week on a Saturday. Odds are being provided by ESPN for entertainment and comparison purposes only. If you bet the lines and lose the holiday feast money, that's on you. Now, if you do come to the Hoodwood, I might fix you some hot cider, but you're going to have to listen to Mariah or be forced to sing along with this Christmas a few dozen times. Let's get into the game, shall we? But first, the Thursday game is on tap before all the Christmas games. Six and eight Jaguars taking on the seven and seven Jets. At MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey, 8-15 kickoff on Amazon Prime, the Jets are one-point favorites. Last week, the Jaguars defeated the Cowboys 40-34 in overtime, while the Jets lost to the Lions 20-17. Now, the Jags might be growing up in front of our very eyes. Isn't it lovely? They continue their stunning run of good play with a thrilling win over a good Cowboys team at home. And in front of a delirious Jacksonville crowd, they now head to Gotham to play a badly slumping Jets team that seems to find themselves behind the eight ball late in games more often than not. The Jets fading fast from the playoff scenario, and though I said I wouldn't do it, and I'm going to regret this, I know, I'm going to throw my trust in the Jags one more time. One more time this year. You got one more shot, Jacksonville. You boo boo on yourself. I'm not going to pick you anymore. A win here, and they have a clear path to control their own destiny to not only playoff berth, but a divisional title once thought unthinkable at season start. The pick is Jacksonville. Let's go to the Saturday game. Now, the bulk of the season, uh, the uh, week's schedule for this week is on Saturday. Leading off, we have 8-5-1 Giants at the 11-3 Vikings at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. The Vikings are three and a half point favorites. Uh, the playoff implications are listed. That the Giants clinch playoff spot with a win and losses by Seattle, Washington, and Detroit. The Vikings have already clinched the NFC North. Last week, the Giants defeated the Commanders 20 to 12, while the Vikings defeated the Colts 39 to 36 in overtime. The G-men grinded out a win in D.C. to keep their playoff hopes very much alive. Now they head to the slowy, snowy climbs of the Great White North to tangle with a Vikes squad that is still pinching itself after its miraculous comeback against the Colts. Now Danny Dive has been very inconsistent, though he has played capably enough to engineer grimy yet needed wins. While I'll never profess to be a Kirk Cousins fan, his surgical precision in the second half against the Colts was one of the keys to getting the Vikes off the deck to rally to an improbable win. That said, the Vikings cannot, and I repeat, cannot, play the G-Men the way they did in the first half against the Colts. Or else, they will get wiped out. Now, the G-Men can't put up those kind of numbers anyway, so I think that this game will likely delve into a grimy grinder, with the G-Men once again showing the kind of inconsistency that makes them a suspect playoff contender. Vikings will continue to live on the one score edge. The pick is Minnesota. Next up, we have the 11 and 3 Bills taking on the 3 and 11 Bears at, at Soldier Field in Chicago. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Bills are nine point favorites. Note that the Bills have already clinched a playoff spot. The Bill, last week, the Bills defeated the Dolphins 32 to 29, while the Bears lost to the Eagles 25 to 20. Now the Bills won another wild game, this time in their snowy crib and now they head to the midway to face the Bears who have to be wondering what they did to deserve the fate of one playoff contender after another after another on their late season schedule. There was once an old Sports Illustrated cover back in the day with a pic of Bears legend Walter Payton with the headline, Chicago's One Man Game. This was apropos for Payton, then... And it's certainly true for Justin Fields now. Despite the help of David Montgomery in the backfield, he feels like he's battling opposing defenses more often by himself. Against a free freewheeling, rowdy Bills defense, Fields is in real trouble. And with the Bills looking to stack wins to hold off the challengers in the AFC like KC and Cincinnati, they will take the wins wherever they can get them. The pick is Buffalo. Next on the docket, we have the 5-9 and nine Saints. Taking on the 6-8 Browns at First Energy Stadium in Cleveland, 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS, the Browns are three-point favorites. Last week, the Saints defeated the Falcons 21-18, while the Browns defeated the Ravens 13-3. Both teams coming off ugly but needed wins over divisional foes at home, they now square off in Cleveland. Both these teams' offenses could be labeled offensive, as neither are a real threat to light up scoreboards. I'm no fan of Deshaun Watson for various reasons, but he has managed to keep the Browns in games. They have won two of his first three starts. I think he plays well enough to make it 3-4 The pick is Cleveland. Next on the docket, we have the one twelve 12 one Texans taking on the 7-7 Titans at Nissan Stadium in Nashville. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Titans are seven-point favorites. Last week, the Texans lost to the Chiefs 30-24 in overtime, while the Titans lost to the Chargers 17-13. Now, the Texans are at least playing better. They took another top team to the wire before another heartbreaking loss, this time the Chiefs in overtime. They head to Music City to take on a reeling Titans team that, despite dropping four straight, are still all along the AFC South lead. How does that work? Now, the Titans' offense is looking weaker and weaker by the week. <laughs> hey, a play on words. And have gotten further weakened by the loss of Ryan Tannehill. The Texans are way, way overdue for a game to break their way. And in this goofball season, I think it should be this week. Their offense has played decently enough against two of the stronger teams. And I think they steal a win over a fading squad. The pick is Houston. That's the Hoodwood upset of the week. Next on the docket, we have the 7-7 Seahawks taking on the 11-3 Chiefs at GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS, the Chiefs are nine-and-a-half-point favorites. Note that the Chiefs have clinched the AFC West. Last week, the Seahawks lost to the 49ers 21-13, while the Chiefs defeated the Texans 30-24 in overtime. Once promising season of the Seahawks is fading badly with their second loss at home in the span of four days took them from contenders of the NFC West crown to fighting for their very playoff lives. They head to Kansas City to face a Chiefs squad that dawdled and doddered around here and there with the woeful Texans and nearly let a supposedly winnable game slip away. That said, this is an interesting matchup between a pair of solid quarterbacks, the irrepressible Patrick Mahomes and the resurgent Geno Smith. The Chiefs have their weaknesses, to be sure, and seem to mind wander at times, but they should be able to outmuscle the reeling Seahawks, who are losing their grip on their one stronghold on a playoff spot. The pick is Kansas City. Next on the docket, we have the 10-4 Bengals, taking on the 7-7 Patriots at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Mass., 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Bengals are three and a half point favorites. Last week, the Bengals defeated the Buccaneers 34 23, while the Patriots lost to the Raiders 30 24. Playoff implications here Bengals clinch a playoff spot with, or they may have clinched with a Jets loss on Thursday, but they clinch a playoff spot with a win. Now, the Bengals rallied smartly from a 17 point second quarter deficit to win going away. In uh, Tampa, now they do head Foxborough to face Pat's team that found the silliest way to lose in Vegas, and are finding themselves falling further and further out of an AFC playoff spot. The Bengals, though a bit, bit weakened on defense, are still finding ways to cause havoc and turn turnovers into points. Mac Jones will not be able to sit back and get passing yards against that said defense. Though I don't trust Bill Belichick to try to get a sneaky way to to find a win, I still think the Bengals will be able to grind out a tougher win than they really have a right to expect. The pick is Cincinnati. Next on the docket, we have the 7-7 Lions taking on the 5-8 Panthers. Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox the Panthers are 2.5 point favorites last week the Lions defeated the Jets 20-17 while the Panthers lost to the Steelers 24-16 now the Lions dodged one bullet after another in a scrappy win in Gotham they now head to the Carolinas to face a Panthers team that is actually in better shape in this divisional race than the Lions are that said the Lions have suddenly gelled into a team no one wants to deal with Jared Goff, Jamal Williams, and Amon Ross St. Brown are giving defenses migraines, and their underrated defense is making the big plays when needed. Now, the Panthers blew a big opportunity to push into a tie with the Bucks and the sorry NFC South. I know I'm going to regret this, but the Lions actually look and play like a better team The Detroit take a time out. Come back with the second half of the NFL Week 16 Picks. Sports on the Hood wind rolls on after this. Hmm, who can I get to help me? I know, Santa! Hey there, Raj. Are you ready to tell him? Why well, yes, Santa, will you help? Of course! Show! Raj has been hard at work all year, coming up with ideas to take and put together, and scripts, and movies just for you. And once the holidays are over, we can start shooting movies. Like my new thriller, The Ultimate Delivery, and my new feature film, Don't Mess With Family. And so much more! All, all coming, coming in 2023! Ha ha ha! Happy holidays from all of us at Holly Tucky Films and Rage Pictures. And be sure to follow us online where we you oh, get your minute, social that media. That was my line. Look, Santa, we talked about this. You said I'd get the final Look, word. Look, I just want to make sure I'm still getting paid no, for this. If you don't want a box of coal underneath the tree, oh, you no, better no, no, you so Dude, just let him have the last word. Okay, fine. Stay safe and warm this holiday season. Happy? You made the top of the You're tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the Internet's foremost location for the most honest insight, thorough analysis, and unfiltered opinion on the world of sports. Now, once again, here's the man of the hour, after hours, your host, K.J. Green. You're back in the Hoodwood. I'm K.J. Green. Let's continue with the NFL Week 16 picks. Next on the docket, we have the 5 and 9 Falcons taking on the 9 and 5 Ravens at M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. The Ravens are seven-point favorites. Last week, the Falcons lost to the Saints 21-18, while the Ravens lost to the Browns 13-3. Now, the Falcons are trying to show some patience with Desmond Ritter, former Bearcat, but they are trying not to panic in the face of being in the NFC South playoff race. They head to Baltimore to face a Ravens squad that has not only seen their weak offense get even more toothless in a loss to Cleveland, but has also seen the streaking Bengals team zoom past them in the standings. Needing a win badly, the Ravens will win a slug-it-out game, else they may end up further behind the Bengals in the AFC North. The pick is Baltimore. Let's turn to the late games on Saturday. First off, we have the 7-6-1 Commanders taking on the 10-4 49ers at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California. Four o five 0 5 kickoff on CBS. Do note the network change. The 49ers are seven-point favorites. Last week, the Commanders lost to the Giants 20-12 while the 49ers defeated the Seahawks 21-13 which clinched the NFC West for the 49ers. Now the Niners have quietly won the NFC West as noted and are trying to move up in the NFC playoff hierarchy but they face a tough Commander squad that got royally hosed last week at home on a suspect non-call late. That said, the commanders' offense will find the going slow against a fierce Niners defense that hasn't given up more than 17 points since losing to the Chiefs. That was seven weeks ago, people. I think that the Niners will continue to menace the Vikings and Eagles, who are above them in the NFC standings, by keeping pace with the win. The pick here is San Francisco. Next on the docket, we have the 13-1 Eagles taking on the 10-4 Cowboys at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. 425 kickoff on Fox. The Cowboys are six-point favorites. Last week, the Eagles defeated the Bears 25-20, while the Cowboys lost to the Jaguars 40-34 in overtime. Now, the Eagles have clinched to playoff berth, but can clinch an NFC East title with a win. Now, the Eagles have been on cruise control uh, for the past couple of months. But now have the pokes to deal with, who have been living fast and loose and not taking their opponents seriously until it finally came back to bite them in the butt with a nasty pratfall walk-off loss to the Jags. Now, the Eagles are in jeopardy with uncertain status of Jalen Hurts, who is nursing a sore shoulder. But you want to think that the game won't matter really in the standings, as the Eagles are just about too far ahead to get caught the NFC East title, or the number one seed for that matter. The Pokes are the one that need this game psychologically, and they will get it. The pick here is Dallas. Next on the docket, we have the 6-8 Raiders. At the 6-8 Steelers, at a Creasier Stadium in Pittsburgh, 8-15 kickoff on NFL Network, the Steelers are two-and-a-half point favorites. Last week, the Raiders defeated the Patriots 30-24, while the Steelers defeated the Panthers 24-16. to Now, these two teams played one of the NFL's most iconic games 50 years ago, almost to the day. But, teams are a lot less playoff-worthy here. Both need wins to stay on the very fringes of the playoff rates. The Raiders got their own very immaculate, um... I don't know what that was in Vegas, to be perfectly honest, but it got them the win. Now, the Steelers are playing with heavy hearts as the focal point of the Immaculate Reception... Franco Harris passed away just this past Wednesday, and I think they will play hard and win in his memory, if nothing more than just to further irk the Raiders 50 years later. The pick is Pittsburgh. Let's turn to the Sunday game, shall we? A triple header of games on Christmas Day start off with the 6-8 Packers taking on the 8-6 Dolphins at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. The Dolphins are 5.5-point favorites. Last week, the Packers defeated the Rams 24-12, while the Dolphins lost to the Bills 32-29. Now, the Packers lounge their way to through a snoozer at home against the woeful Rams, but the road gets really steep with the Christmas date in Miami. Aaron Rodgers is playing like he's on autopilot, to be honest, and facing the Dolphins, who are plenty sore after losing a winnable game in snowy Buffalo, are needing and needing to stack together wins to save their playoff spot, will be a tough task. Tua Tagovailoa is playing good to be certain, but he needs to step his game up and do work against weaker foes. I think he gets one here at home. And finally, deep sixes, the Packers' fledgling playoff. Hopes for good. The pick is Miami. Next we have the 4-10 Broncos taking on the 4-10 Rams at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. 430 kickoff on CBS. The Broncos are one-point favorites. Last week, the Broncos defeated the Cardinals 24-15, while the Rams lost to the Packers 24-12. Now, you know CBS feels like they got a lump of coal this dud of a game on Christmas. The Broncos finally got a win, but that was over a team that's even more inept than they are. If Baker Mayfield faces a real defense, he's in trouble. Now, the Broncos' offense is putrid, but guess what? The defense is fairly strong and has kept them in a lot of games think that will get them a win on the road. The pick here is Denver. The last Sunday game is the 6-8 Buccaneers taking on the 4-10 Cardinals at State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. 8-20 kickoff on NBC. The Buccaneers are 4.5-point favorites. Last week, the Buccaneers lost to the Bengals 34-23, while the Cardinals lost to the Broncos 24-15. Now, the Bucs walked tall in the first half hosting the Bengals last week only to trip badly under a withering defense and crumble under a 34-point second-half bum rush. They head to the desert to face the Cardinals team that is trying to limp its way to a merciful finish. Trace McSorley gets the, his first start of his NFL career against a tough Bucs defense. Good luck. I'm trying to figure out how a team that has oodles of talent like the Cardinals has such a Cardinal record. It doesn't really matter the Bucs are marginally better. They need this win to stay in front of their super-weak division. The pick is Tampa Bay. Finally, we have the Monday night game, which has the 8-6 Chargers taking on the 4-9-1 and and Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. 8-15 kickoff on ESPN. The Chargers are four-point favorites. Now, the Chargers can clinch playoff berth if the Jets, Pats, and Raiders have all lost. So, the Colts are reeling. If, that's putting it nicely. After another second half meltdown, this one of historical proportions, and a stunning 33 point collapse against the Vikings, which led many to ponder if interim coach Jeff Saturday would even keep his job to finish the season. Now they head home to face a surging Charger team that's closing fast and on a playoff spot. I don't think the Colts will win another game this year, and the Chargers are more than happy to take a win off their hands pick here's the Los Angeles Chargers it's the Hoodwood Lock of the Week you thought I forgot didn't you and there you have it last week I was 8-8 the lock and upset both correct overall 131 90-2 11-4 on the locks and and 8-7 on the upsets we'll take a time out come back with the Hoodwood hot five fat dap head slap and the final word from the wood sports from the Hoodwood heads down the home stretch after this Hi everyone, I'm KJ Green. If you're looking to reach a broad audience of your advertising dollar, look no further than where you are right now. You can advertise right here in the Hoodwood. If you need spots created as well, Black Bandit Productions Enterprises it. it creates commercial content that drives sales and gets results. You can send your inquiries to ads at blackbanditproductions.com. Black Bandit Productions and sounds, ideas, and images the 21st century. From the Hoodwood, the internet's foremost location for no-nonsense commentary, insight, and opinions on the world of sports. Here now live in living color, black by popular demand, your host, K.J. Green. Running third and headed for home here in the Hoodwood. We're headed down the stretch. Let's finish up strong with the Hoodwood Hot Five, Fat Dap Head Slap, and the final word from the wood. Now, the Hoodwood Hot Five... Last weekend was probably one of the wildest weekends in the NFL that I can ever remember seeing. I've been watching football, pro football at least, for 40 years. And I cannot remember a weekend that was as nutty, as crazy, so many great games, so many wild finishes. The Hot Five is basically the five observations that I had from the previous week with the Christmas week fast coming upon us. Let's get to it before we start the next week. Our number one question, and I say this as a Vikings fan, a dedicated one at that, how did the Vikings come back? They were down 33 to nothing to the Colts. 33 to nothing. And I had a couple of friends of mine who were Colts fans who were buzzing up the phone and saying, ah, the Vikings, who we thought they were frauds, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just... Sitting on the couch, depressed. Watch. So I just turned the game off. I, I, I honestly admit, I turned the game off. I went to the uh, University of Cincinnati basketball game. Watched them win their game um, over LaSalle. And when I turned the game back on, I, kept, I was keeping track of the game on my phone. And I looked and I saw that the Vikings had scored. So I'm thinking, okay, they avert the shutout and they scored again, 30 36 to 14 and I'm like, hmm. They scored again right before I turned the right before the end of the, the uh, basketball game. So I turned the game back on and I'm thinking, "Oh my goodness." I mean, I'm looking at the stats and everything. I'm like, "How do they come back? How is this possible?" The Vikings did what many people say couldn't be done. The 33 point deficit was the largest Comeback ever, and I saw the uh, Frank wright leg comeback that the Bills did in nineteen ninety, the nineteen ninety two playoffs against the then Houston Oilers, where they came back from thirty five to three, and like that Buffalo game, there was a pick six, like that game, they were up, they were down huge in front of a disgruntled home crowd, and like the Buffalo game, it went to overtime. And the uh, home team won on a walk off field goal. Unlike that game, the Vikings were up. I mean, Vikings were actually, the Vikings never led in that game at all. The Bills in the game against the Oilers led briefly. People forget the Oilers tied that game and sent it to overtime. The Vikings' only lead was when uh, Greg Joseph hit the field goal to give them the lead and the win. That was their only lead of the game. How did the Vikings come back? Kirk Cousins had a monster day. Dalvin Cook had a great day. Justin Jefferson was his usual impeccable self. And the defense. Now, a lot of people were knocking the Vikings defense. Me for one. But the Vikings defense held the Colts without any points for the last quarter and a half. While they scored, came back and scored 29 unanswered points. Ended up being 32 unanswered points, but the, 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 the Colts were up 36 to 7 at one point. People say 33 to nothing, but I'm thinking 36 to 7 with that much time left in the game. Improbable. Simply improbable. Our second observation in the Hoodwood Hot Five is the snowy Saturday night game in Buffalo. Now, that was an absolute gem of a game. Both the Bills and the Dolphins slugging it out in the snow in a great game. Josh Allen went with a phenomenal game. He had four touchdown passes, 70 yards rushing, and he kept the Dolphins' defense guessing the whole night. Now, Tua Takavailoa, for his part, played a pretty solid game himself. But in the end, the Bills ended up pushing just a little bit closer, clinching a playoff spot. They pushed a little bit closer to trying to secure that one-number-one seed. Nobody wants to play in Buffalo in January. I've been in Buffalo in December, and it's a pretty frightful place. But in January, in the playoffs, it is a tough, tough venue to play in. Bills Mafia, loud, proud, and crazy make that for one of the most intimidating venues in pro football. And that is something that... The Bills want to get home field advantage because they know if home field goes to Buffalo, they might have themselves to their first football, pass their first football in a better than a quarter century. The third observation in the Hoodwood Hot Five, and this is a team that is trying to get past Buffalo for one of the top spots, if not the number one seed, and that's Cincinnati. Now, I live Hoodwood is just outside of Cincinnati. I will freely admit that I am closer to the local team, the Bengals, live where I live than my favorite team, the Vikings. So I have a kind of an outsider's observation of the Bengals. And I admit, I've knocked the Bengals. I didn't think they were for real. I thought they were they were a one-year catch lightning in a bottle type of thing and run with it. I don't like Zach Taylor. I don't think he's a good coach. I think he's a hack coach. Maybe that's because I have a beef with him because when he was the offensive coordinator, coordinator at the University of Cincinnati. That aside, the Bengals are proving their mettle in spades. They have gone to the tough venues. They have won the games that you didn't think they were going to win. I didn't think they were going to beat the Browns their second time around after getting pasted by them on Halloween. They won pretty comfortably. I didn't think they were going to win in, in Tennessee. I thought Derrick Henry was going to run on them. They shut Derrick Henry down, and they won. I didn't think they were gonna win in Tampa. They went to Tampa, spotted the Bucks a 17-0 lead, and came back with 34 unanswered points. Joe Burrow put in work. And that's not being that's not just saying, oh, he it, he was along for the ride. No. They had yes, the Bengals had short fields because the defense continued to pressure Tom Brady, continued to make him uncomfortable, continued to force, they went four straight possessions. Forcing a turnover. And the Bengals made every one of those turnovers for the Bucks hurt. Cashing them in for points. Putting poor pressure on Tom Brady. And it just like a snowball rolling downhill. And once it got rolling, the, the, the Bucks were powerless to stop it. And even not even the great Tom Brady could slow the Bengals down. The Cincinnati Bengals are proving their mettle that they are a team to be reckoned with. That they are as a defending AFC champs. Legitimate. Unlike the Rams, who have fallen out by the wayside after their, after their conference title and Super Bowl win, the Bengals are proving in a tough AFC that they are worth the, worth the worry. And the Kansas City and Buffalo, Kansas City's already lost to the Bengals, but they are proving that the Bengals, Bengals are proving that they are worthy to be considered one of the top teams in the, not only the AFC, but the NFL. Our fourth observation here in the Hoodwood: Jacksonville shocking the pokes. Now, and, and, and Casey surviving a ridiculous game in Houston. I mean, to be perfectly honest, Jacksonville had no business staying with the Cowboys. The Cowboys are supposed to be better on both sides of the ball, offensive and offensively and defensively. But I've said this before. Dallas has this annoying habit of going to sleep at the switch against lesser teams. They did it the week previous in Houston. And I something told me on the picks Dallas is gonna is gonna screw this game up in Jacksonville. Watch. And what did they do? Trevor Lawrence is one of the hottest young quarterbacks in the game. This kid is going him, he's following in the steps of, say, Joe Burrow, of being one of these great quarterbacks who are settling into their role, defying their teams with the swashbuckling can-do attitude that is going to be a problem for other teams. Jacksonville can still win their division, believe it or not. And if that team gets in the playoffs, that team's going to be a headache. They may not get deep, but they're going to be a hard way to go for any opponent. On the other side, Kansas City struggle with Houston. Houston has been making headaches for a lot of teams, even though they're 1-12-1. doesn't matter. But Kansas City should have blown the Texans out. At home, in front of Chiefs' kingdom, This should have been a walkover. But it wasn't. I stand corrected. That game wasn't in, in, in Kansas City. That game was in Houston. But Kansas City should have blown the Texans out. Bar none. And they struggle with them. And struggle with them and finally was able to push away and win in overtime. Houston should have been a team that they should have blown out big time. The odds makers, the bookies were laughing because they set them as nine-point favorites, and what, a big part, it was 14-point favorites. And Houston was in the game pretty much the whole way. Now, what does this mean for Kansas City? With looking over their shoulder at, at fast closing Buffalo and Cincinnati, they need to continue to stack wins. 11, 12 wins may not be good enough for a number one seed. Kansas City better watch itself. They want the the title role to come back through Kansas City again, but they've proven they can be beat and have been beat in Kansas City. Finally, our fifth observation in the Hoodwood. What was that in Vegas? What? A Bill Belichick coach team doesn't do stuff like that. The end of that game between the Raiders and the Patriots at Allegiant Stadium in in Vegas should have went overtime. That should have been an overtime. Ramondre Stevenson running through, picks up about 25 yards. He gets tackled, go down, oh well, that's it. Flip coin, let's go to overtime. But instead, he decides he's going to lateral the ball back. And what Jacoby Jones was thinking was, I don't know. Turning and throwing the ball backward was bad enough. I mean, of course you can't throw the ball forward because you can't have a forward lateral. But throwing the ball backward, almost blind. Oh, I saw Mac Jones back... No, that was Chandler Jones that was... Hey, Ma, look what I got. Takes the ball and runs. Steamrolling Mac Jones, by the way, who I felt bad for. He shouldn't have been put in that position. The Patriots... I, I was surprised Bill Belichick just didn't tell tell Stevenson and Jones, you know what? Find your own way home. Y'all both cut, cause if I was a coach, I'd have cut them. There's no reason that game should have should have ended like that for the Raiders. None, none at all. Makes absolutely no sense. That's my Hoodwood High Five. What's yours? <laughs> Now, turning to our Fat Dap and Head Slap of the Week. Our Fat Dap goes to Jerry Edmond, a Patriots fan who is in Las Vegas. Now, you go, how's a Patriot fan in Las Vegas? But anyway, Patriot fan watching the game between the Patriots and the Raiders. And there is some unidentified woman who I won't give that much credit to is just hollering at him and heckling him and berating him. And Jerry Edmond stands there watching the game. It was in the upper level of Allegiant Stadium. He's standing there watching the game, arms folded. I mean, Bill Belichick could take notes from this guy as stoic and as unflappable as he, as he was. But he's standing there watching the game, and this lady continues to berate him and heckle him and just holler at him, and he says very little, if anything, to him. Now, of course, as I described in uh, the Hoodwood Hot Five, the Patriots lost the game in one of the silliest ways that you could lose on an intercepted lateral that was ruled a fumble. And this lady is hollering and dancing around and, you know, in-your-face type of thing. Edmund remains stoic. And his stoicism and not responding because... If someone's in your face like that, it's almost a natural response to want to respond. But he did. And his stoic nature caught the attention of Patriots owner Robert Kraft, who not only congratulated Edmonds, thanked him for his his fan, his uh, steadfast uh, loyalty to the Pets, but also in the face of the silliness of this fan, but offers him four club seats at Gillette Stadium flies him to Foxborough for the, the, the Saturday game against the Bengals. He will be introduced on the field. He will get a customized jersey and the profound thanks from the Kraft family. The way that young man handled himself is admirable. I don't know if I could have done that. Now I've went to Bengals games at Paul Brown now Paycor Stadium wearing Vikings jerseys. All three times the Vikings have lost. All three times I've had people yell ah eh, the Vikings suck in your face, and I'm sorely tempted to just like pop off at them I don't because it doesn't serve any purpose for this young man to do what he did, how he did it was something to be lauded, and I'm glad that it was noticed, and that Robert Kraft took the time to recognize this young man. For his dedication to his favorite team. And treat him to something that's probably a once in a lifetime thing. It'd be a dream for him probably to go to Foxborough to watch the Pats. Now he's going to get it and be able to do it in style. It's a great thing. Our head slap of the week goes to the, and I say so-called in air quotes, French fans. And you'll understand why I say so-called. These are ones that left Threats and other racist remarks to the players to the players of color of the French national team that lost that dramatic World Cup final. Key players, and as noted, most of them who were of color, were sent some of the most vile, disgusting racist remarks and threats over social media, and even in their voicemail, how do you take the time to find somebody's phone number and call them for the express purpose of calling them, And saying stuff to them, it makes no sense. None at all. None. And as a black man, as somebody who enjoys sports, as I do, I understand it's a game. And that people people are passionate about it. But like I said, it's a game. It's not life or death. It never will be life or death. When the game was over, the French uh, players congratulated the Argentine players after the celebration, wished them well. That's sportsmanship. For the fans to turn on the players who left it all out on the pitch. I mean, it wasn't like that they, even if they got blown out 9 to nothing, they are better on the field than these fans ever could dream of being. These players left it all on the pitch in trying to defend their title. They were defending World Cup champs. They uh, tried their best, it came up short, you can never put any fault on them, or anything. leaving remarks like that, is idiotic, and these so-called, and I say so-called fans that did that, are the lowest of the low. You shouldn't even be able to call yourself fans. Passion is one thing, this is sheer stupidity. And now without much further ado, let's go to the final word from the wood. Mm-hmm. Fifty years ago, on December 23rd, a dynasty was launched, all on a ricochet. The Oakland Raiders and Pittsburgh Steelers were locked in a low-scoring tussle in the AFC divisional round in the 1972 playoffs. Steelers were facing a fourth and ten from their own 40. Steelers quarterback Terry Bradshaw was trying to find someone open downfield in the face of a relentless Raider rush. He spotted Frenchie Fuqua downfield and fired a pass his way. Problem was, the ball and the Raiders' safety Jack Tatum got there at about the same time. The ball hit Fuqua. Tatum, who had already had a rep as a feared hitter, blasted Fuqua, and the ball fluttered backwards and toward the Three Rivers turf. But for a rookie running back named Franco Harris, who had ran out of the backfield trying to be a target or throw a block or something, but he was in the right spot and snagged the ricochet inches from the ground and kept right on running. The Raiders saw the catch, but thought it was illegal and barely tried to stop him as he raced downfield and tight-roped his way down the sideline to the end zone for a stunning touchdown. The refs consulted. Now, under the rules of the day, Fuqua and Harris couldn't have touched the ball consecutively. You can do this now, but back in the day, a defender had to have touched the ball on a ricochet. Had that play happened present day, there would have been no controversy, and Harris would have been... Uh, rightly lauded as being Johnny on the spot for catching the ball where it was at. Uh, but the refs did call the play legal and the Steelers won an improbable game. It was their first ever playoff win in franchise history. And even though they did lose the next week to the Miami Dolphins, a dynasty and the legacy of winning was born. And to this day, many of the Raiders are still sore about the play. And to the end of his great life, then Raiders coach John Madden would very be very bitter and grumble about the circumstances. But nevertheless, Franco Harris went from promising rookie to Steeler icon. He played 11 more seasons in Pittsburgh, helping the Steelers win four Super Bowls in the 70s. And turning a once-lovable loser into a feared team that bullied and steamrolled opponents through their, and then though the rivalry with the Raiders grew exponentially with that game, teams would be bitter and still be bitter rivals for years to come. Now, Harris was a quiet icon on those teams. His running was an important cog in that team's success. Quiet intensely private, he was nevertheless the hero of the Italian Army group of Steeler fans who held him as a paisan, as his roots from his Italian mother, as one of their own. And Pittsburghers thought him as a native son now harris was even though harris was let me try that again Pittsburghers thought of him as a native son though he was from fort dix new jersey and went to school at despise penn state harris was traded from pittsburgh to seattle in 1984 and played briefly in the pacific northwest before retiring at the end of the season returning to pittsburgh harris became a local entrepreneur who remained active in the community with several pittsburgh-based charities and he was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1990. Now, the NFL had scheduled the Steelers and Raiders to meet 50 years and one day after that iconic game. And Harris was to be honored as only the third player in Steelers history behind Ernie Stoutner and Mean Joe Green, no relation, to have their number officially retired. That was would be Saturday the 24th. Harris passed away Wednesday at the age of 72. I can never say I was much of a Steelers fan, but I respected Harris's quiet demeanor, his quiet workmanlike attitude toward the game, and better still, his humble attitude, and it was always one who was more concerned about the team than his personal glory. Many a person in Pittsburgh would run across Franco Harris, and he always would take time to chat with him and chat with the quote-unquote millions of people who were there that watched that game, even though the game was blacked out locally, and only 49,000 people were actually at Three Rivers Stadium that day. Nevertheless, Harris was one of the type of players that would be good to the fans, good to people, and good to his fellow man. His desire to just help out led him to be at the right place at the right time. Steeler Nation owes a debt of gratitude to Franco, and they will honor him thusly. One that shouldn't have had to wait that long or for his passing to express that debt needs to be paid in full. And that is the final word from the wood. Now, with the music coming up in the background, you know that means that your time here in the Hoodwood is just about done, and I thank you so much for your visit this week. Now, the show's email is kjgreen at sportsfromthehoodwood.com. Please send me emails regarding show topics, questions, comments on the show, both praise and criticism. I welcome your correspondence, and I will try to get back to you as quickly as possible. Now, the show's website is sportsfromthehoodwood.com, has a back catalog of all the shows in both audio and video form so if you've missed any shows or you want to just check up on how bad I've done on my picks please do so at that site. The show also has a Facebook page believe it or not it's, it's entitled mm-hmm. Spotify. The main fine platform of now your favorite music ask for you, as we the for see if you can get it, As always, special places and rage pictures for most of show. That's it from the little bit, ladies and gentlemen. You and yours Happy holidays, George the Kwanzaa Christmas happy night nice, My Hoodwood, like yours, green. Until next time, Sports man. Sports from the Hoodwood is a Black Bandit Productions and Enterprises presentation of a 551 audio and films production.